Hi, this is uh, Mike Edelhart, and I'm here with another edition of Inception, our podcast about uh, beginnings, uh, beginnings of new ideas in uh, science and consumer products, sometimes even a little view of the future. And today with uh, one of our very recent investments, Katie Cottom of Luna uh, Daily, we actually got to meet for real and truly in New York when we gathered folks together post-COVID, um, which was terrific. And now here we are back on Zoom. Hello. <laughs> uh, great to great to see you. So, uh, you know, you've got this interesting, well, why don't we start by just having you explain from your point of view what Luna Daily is, and then I'll have my two cents about it. Cool. So thank you so much, Mike. And it's a pleasure to be asked to come on here today and talk to you. So, yes, I'm Katie, the founder and CEO of Luna Daily. And really, if I think about why I started Luna Daily, it all goes back to my own personal teenage experience, my own personal consumer truth. And I can vividly remember the day I was 19 and I'd been studying in India. I came home to the UK and I was really unwell. So I was put in a course of antibiotics uh, for six weeks, a pretty intensive course of antibiotics. The result of which was it fundamentally changed my skin microbiome, my gut microbiome. And from that point onwards, I wasn't able to use traditional body care products, care for my intimate skin. But I really resented using the only options available to me, these niche use, stagnated, embarrassing, synthetic products, which still for the most part today sit in a category called the feminine hygiene category. I do the inverted commas because of the deep rooted associations with such category. Uh, and ever since then, I have thought there has been a missed opportunity and the modern woman and people with vulvas are being really underserved. Fast forward 15 years um, and a career predominantly in the beauty wellness space. So I started at my career at L'Oreal and then most recently I was global head of brand at Charlotte Tilbury. In the midst of a pan the pandemic, I decided life was short and I needed to go and give this a go because in 15 years, not a lot had changed. So with the help of experts, dermatologists, gynecologists, and the rest of the Lunar Daily Collective, I set out to create Lunar Daily. So our strap line is head, vulva, knees, and toes. And we are microbiome balancing body care for all your skin, including your most intimate. Um, Got it. And, you know, quite, for all your skin, including your most intimate, is it really about your most intimate? Because there are a lot of things out there for all of your skin. Or are you genuinely sort of taking the point of view that skin is skin wherever on your body it is? So stop being so weird about it. <laughs> I mean, that's one way of putting it, Mike. I mean, really the proof point for us is the intimate skin because our, what it really re represents is that our, formula our formulations have been developed to be gentle enough for your most intimate skin. But you're very right. Skin is just skin. Um, now, there are definitely some nuances there. So the first being that... Actually, there's a real lack of education, particularly amongst women, um, around their, their female anatomy. So we conducted some pioneering research between a thousand women of all ages and skin types when we launched. And 80% of women can't accurately label the vulva. And one in three women are still washing inside the vagina. So we're getting quite nitty gritty here. But uh, the vagina is the internal female anatomy that is completely self-cleaning, right. never needs to be washed. The vulva is your external intimate skin. And actually, vulva is just skin. If we get really technical, uh, the vulva is most right. similar to the skin under your underarms. And so it is a slightly different gland to what skin on the rest of our body, but it is just skin. But 
what because the vulva is an intimate area and because it's near the vagina which is um, a different ph and different microbiome it is true that women often experience more common issues in the intimate area but the reality is is it's all just our skin and our big mission is to normalize conversations between women because we believe that the more we normalize conversations is how we revolutionize education and ultimately get women talking about things that should just be really normal and natural got it so i have to ask and you know i'd love to to have our conversation be as open and kind of comfortable as it possible uh, to be with me being a guy, you being a woman, and, and all of that. But I have seen those comments you made in the articles about 80% of uh, women in the UK mislabel their vulva. What do they call it? Uh, um. Or, you know, <laughs> that, that or down there or, 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 or what? So the number one misnaming is that women call it the vagina. And that's really worrying because they're two very different body parts. Uh, and the vagina, as I've said, is internal and completely self-cleaning, so never needs to be washed. Um, so the number one mis misconception is it's just the vagina. I mean, I have to say the word vulva was not in my vernacular growing up. You know, I wasn't taught that word at school and none of my friends were. Um, and, you know, if it's not somebody misnaming it as a vagina, it's somebody misnaming it or just using an alternate word, you know, front, bottom, fanny, we have a different meaning for the word fanny for you guys in the, in the US, um, you know, foof, you know, special place. And by not using just correct anatomical terms, what that does is it increases taboo and confusion. And, you know, I am proof that you normalize it and it's not embarrassing anymore. But, you know, I've spent the last few years speaking to lots of people like you, Mike, you know, in the investment world, there are still a lot, a lot of profiles that look and sound like you, you know, they are, male and you know i've gone now through that process and i'm not embarrassed anymore it's just a word to me and like it is any other word and i think the more we hear these words in in mass media from brands from parents from schools the more we normalize this body part which is crucial for education and understanding and therefore you know effective cleaning routines or when explaining pain but also it's so fundamental just removing taboo and stigma and shame okay understood and and uh yeah last time i looked i was male and uh but i hope it's not generalized that all males are weird about this or uncomfortable uh about this or uh fall into traditional patterns you know uh it doesn't have to be us or them uh, in talking about this so i hope uh i'm not never have been four daughters and all that the enemy of live i'm looking down at the castro in san francisco so you know uh some of the traditional points of view uh not my world but uh you know this doesn't have to be uh, uh women versus men or you know men are the problem here or something like that does it i completely agree and it's a question i get asked a lot particularly having just gone through a fundraiser there's no doubt that the stats are not in women's favor or not in female founders favors do I know whether I had a different experience that I would have had had I been a male or you know, however to identify? I don't know because I didn't have that experience. But my view is that from a personal perspective and a brand perspective, it, this is so much bigger than a gender discussion around you know, men versus women. And, and you know, my, my personal view is I don't believe it is men's fault um, or, or any gender's fault. I think it's a much bigger societal issue than gender mm -hmm. in that sense. And I actually think we miss a big opportunity if we focus on that. But from a brand perspective, 
I'm really passionate that that's not our stance in that we are an inclusive, positive brand and we want to incite change, not by being activistic in a negative or aggressive way or in a, you know, F this, F that, you know, it's been so bad for so long. Um, and actually how we drive change is by being inclusive and positive to everybody. And that is for women and people with vulvas, but it's also to any gender. Um, and that for me is really important. Yeah, uh, uh, that resonates a lot for me. You know, here at Fund, we believe very strongly. Well, we started seeing research way back when we first started Feliance that made it clear that women, those who identified as female, my wife talks a lot about the encompassing she, that you can be a <laughs> she and be anything. Uh, and it's not at all a limiting phrase, a, a limiting uh, a label. Uh, but in that sense, we started to see uh, basically half the humanity uh, start uh, supporting one another, women supporting women in everything related to being women. And the partners here, and maybe it's a little different because most of my investment partners are female, essentially in partner meetings and other discussions started going, yeah, that. You all, you're going to take that seriously or are you going to be those people who uh, react and we've really felt the founding partner and I that we had to be open. Uh, we had to listen to them. We had to look at the numbers in front of us. And if half of humanity decides that things are going to change, you know, things are going to change. Yeah. Um, and and our job is to recognize that change um, and re react to it by you know our judgment and choice of companies in front of us. But what my personal you know how people talked about females when I was in grammar school or something is beside the point. The world's going to belong to the people in it now, and especially the younger generation, they get to decide. Um, and I think in all these areas, not just uh, personal hygiene, but um, health and motherhood and uh, relationships and work, you name it, the fundamental concepts are shifting in front of our eyes. And that is a reality as a fund we need to recognize and, and be open to. And I think the female team members here would burn the place down if we didn't take all this seriously. It would be, we would have some very uncomfortable conversations if everybody on the team weren't open to talking realistically and, and, and freely about all these topics, whether it's brain tumors or vulva cleanliness or, you know, fashions for the older short man or whatever. They're all part of uh, our shared reality. Couldn't agree more, Mike. You've spoken very eloquently. And it's, I felt that since the very first day I met with the joint team, you know, your mantra of investing in joy resonates so closely with me, particularly for a category that has been so deep rooted in shame and upset and negative feelings to, to be able to incite joy into this category. And actually every, everybody I've met from your team has, has resonated that. Um, resonated that? You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that, that's it's, great. It's half six in the UK. It's the end of the day. <laughs> it's, it's, great to, it's great to hear. It's been, we just did one of these with the youngest team member, uh, uh, Jenna Young, who just out of Stanford and it was interesting to compare our life experiences and the way we talk about 
uh, things, but she really resonates with this. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm not, I asked her, are you just a venture capitalist who happens to have been born female? Or are you a female who wants to use this pulpit to help other women? And she was very much, I'm here to help. I'm here to help the sisterhood. And uh, I got in, I'm going to hold the door open with my elbow and like try and get as many folks through the door as I can. And th that's great. Uh, you know, uh, uh, so not to get too philosophical. So apart from the ideas, what is it about the product? That's great. Why should women who are like, okay, I'm open to this and I want to uh, feel a certain way about my body and about all the parts of my body. What is it about the product that makes it great? So the first thing is that we are not trying to fit into an existing femme hygiene category. Actually, the Lunar Daily brand bridges intimate care and body care. So these are products you can use everywhere. And, you know, the consumer has never more wanted fewer products in their bathroom or in our lives. Like in, in general, we are craving simpler routines, simpler lives. And therefore, our, our products, first of all, just play, play into that as a, as a macro trend. The second thing I think is that for so long, there's been one size fits all. And so when thinking about the Lunar Daily range, we developed three curated ranges for different stages of womanhood and different experiences, because no one woman's experience is the same. And so we have our original range um, for daily care. We have a fragrance-free range, which is for sensitive or allergy-prone skin, which is why it's great for motherhood. And we have a hydrating range. Which is which for dry or dehydrated skin, which is why it's great for menopause or perimenopause. The second thing I think when when thinking about how we were going to develop these products and what we wanted to do differently, the first was thinking about we, what we were going to not do. Um, and so by having really thoughtfully designed formulations and packaging, really ethically sourced ingredients and really strong sustainability credentials. So all of our formulas are vegan. They are clean at Sephora, which is the highest Sephora accreditation. Um, and we have a principle of only natural and necessary ingredients. So only ingredients that really need to be in there. That being said, we've really elevated the formulation offer versus the category. So we have a trademark space formulation called Thermobiome Plus, which is made up of thermal water, which is exceptionally rich in magnesium and selenium. So it mirrors, mirrors the natural moisturization factor or the NLF, the skin, prebiotic, inulin and lactic acid and vitamins E, C and F. Um, and this bespoke formulation runs through all of our core ranges and is designed to strengthen nourish and protect the skin now after all we don't just wash our faces and for so long this hygiene category has implied like something is dirty and needs to be cleaned it's about caring for our body and the third thing i think is the thoughtfulness in in format again appreciating that we all have different preferences and so we have multiple formats so women can shop by regime but also preference and i think my favorite format has to be this which is our spray to wipe. Uh, it's a product I think I'm the most proud of. So the insight behind this product was that we could see there's a real opportunity for women wanting to freshen up on the go, whether it's after if you're on your period, after the gym, running between meetings, running between everything I feel like I'm doing at the moment, but we just couldn't sign up to the negative impact of single use wipes. Um, so environmentally, they're, they're pretty awful because most of them are not biodegradable. Um, they clog up sewer systems, et cetera. And so this product was born out of that insight. And so it's called the Everywhere Spray to Wipe. And the idea is you simply spray it directly onto your skin, onto a piece of tissue, and it turns it into a flushable biodegradable wipe. And one bottle is equivalent to 300 wipes. Um, and this is the product that, you know, it's one of our hero products in Sephora. 
Um, and I'm really proud of the fact that I feel like we've really answered a consumer insight, but we've delivered it in an innovative format in a way that is beautiful and enjoyable to use um, and also has environmental credentials. Got it. So uh, that sounds terrific. You've been, interestingly, in big companies, a couple of them, and then startups sort of back and forth a bit. So I'm curious, given that uh, experience of yours, what do you think you'll learn from the big companies that you're able to apply in these kinds of circumstances where it's small and you don't have all those resources? Um, and why leave big companies for this? I mean, you sort of had it sweet. Uh, why not just, <laughs> uh, you know, sit on the high throne and use all those resources to uh, uh, just operate at scale? Why did you decide you needed, uh, if that's the right word, uh, to do your own thing? Well, I had two quite unique but very fortunate experiences. And I say the big companies I worked for, first being L'Oreal, uh, arguably one of the best training grounds in the world as a marketeer. Um, so I was on their grad program. I was then in their category team. So I worked across pretty much every beauty category before I specialized in makeup and I worked on the Maybelline brand. Uh, so really my experiences at L'Oreal were end-to-end, -end, what I think is marketing excellence. You know, you're also fortunate you have big budgets, which means you can play in lots of different channels. You can test and learn lots, uh, surrounded by a cohort of phenomenal talent uh, with a global footprint. Um, so I was able to visit lots of international markets. Then most recently being at Charlotte Tilbury, I mean, by the time I joined Charlotte Tilbury, you'd argue she was SME, you know, six years young. But, you know, the results that we had, that Charlotte and the team had delivered by the time I joined were fairly phenomenal. You know, seven years in, I was there actually just until the sale, the sales of Pooj Group in 2020. And I think the two things I learned from my Charlotte Tilbury experience that sort of stuck with me the most are Charlotte is obsessed with this idea of limitless thinking uh, and putting things out to the universe and doing things differently. And I have to admit, when I joined, I was skeptical. I was like, oh, I don't know if I believe in this. I'm such, you know, a lot of my, I, I am a bit of both sided brains, but often my practical brain dominates. Uh, but it was through actually doing it myself in a few occasions, uh, some, some quite stressful situations, I really needed this limitless thinking to work and it proved it did. Um, Charlotte, the reason she, one of the reasons Charlotte has disrupted the industry so much is that she, she totally believed that she, that she could, even when people told her she couldn't. You know, it's unheard of. You know, when I was there, we overtook the number three brand. So we became the number three brand in 10% of their distribution. Never been done before. You know, incumbent brands have been around for 10, 20 years. Uh, and there was a, there's a fundamental limitless belief it could be done. And the second thing was she built the most incredible team of people around her. Demetra Pinson, who is the CEO at Charlotte Tilbury, is one of, if not the most inspirational woman I've ever met. Um, and they are a phenomenal partnership together. And, you know, even as I've been building my team of people around me, you know, my director, Sarah Watt, was the CMO at Charlotte Tilbury. Uh, our supply ops advisor, James Houston, was one of Charlotte's first ever employees. And they're people that I've met throughout my career and I've been fortunate enough to meet. But I really learned that from that experience there. But also, I, I would never have done this having not done four years in a startup. So in between L'Oreal and Charlotte Tilbury, right. I joined a plant-based food company called Bowl Foods in the UK. And Bowl was a spin-off of Innocent Drinks, which is, uh, I think, now the number one juice brand in Europe. Uh, but a huge brand now here in the UK, set up by Rich, Adam and John, um, who's now gone on to set up John John Investments. 
And I was the fifth founding employee in that business and the first non-innocent member. And it was it was a world away from anything I'd ever done. It was roll up your sleeves, tiny budgets, doing everything. I was head of brand marketing and innovation. And that was really my school of how you run a business. And that really set me up with the foundations, I think, to have the, a, the courage to quit my job in the pandemic and go and do this, but also the skill set. I would not be here today without that. And your final question, Mike, which was, you know, why not just stay? Um, I think everybody had such reflections on the pandemic of how, you know, it was going to change their life and they were going to do things differently. You know, some of which I think we've kept more than others. And I think some of which we've gone back to the daily grind. But for me, it became so crystal clear that there would be more regret in not going and giving this a go than going and giving it a go. Um, and COVID taught me that life is short and there's never going to be a good time to do something. Um, and so, yeah, it was looking back, it was pretty punchy quitting my job in the first pandemic where most of the country was either being made redundant or furloughed. But I just I just believed I needed to go give it a go. And I, I, if anything, there was I didn't feel any risk. I thought, well, what's the worst that's going to happen? I go and give this a go. If it doesn't work. OK, go back and get another job like I'm doing. Or maybe it will be a success. And I think a huge part of success of startups uh, is, yes, build a phenomenal brand and a unique product and a proposition and an amazing team. But it's it's a load of good luck as well. It's good luck and timing. And we've been really fortunate that it's been the right time. I think had I even launched this five years ago, it might have been too early, but it's been the right time. And we've had some luck done go our way. It sounds terrific for starters. So uh, a, a last uh, question, because I think we could probably talk like this for hours, uh, <laughs> but we have to stop at some point. Uh, so what do you hope happens next? And, and if we do this a year from now, uh, where do you think the company will be? And, and what do you think the next uh, big challenge to overcome uh, might be? From a company perspective, you can sort of answer this in two ways, sort of practical and then visionary. From a practical perspective, you know, I'm obsessed about driving profitable growth throughout my business, because ultimately, if we drive profitable growth, we get to deliver on our ambition. If you know, the big ambition is to be the world's defining brand for women of all ages and stages, with a purpose to inspire women to connect to each other in their entire bodies. But practically, I only do that if I, if I drive profitable growth. And so our expansion across North America is hugely important to us. It's the largest market outside of Asia, and it's the fastest growing in terms of penetration. Whilst also, I hope in a year time to see uh, that we've built out our omnichannel partnerships wider than just North America. So other key markets, as well as here in the UK, our home turf. From a more, I suppose, evangelical perspective or moral compass perspective, I hope I have built a brand that continues to truly help women. You know, when you read, one of my favorite things to do is to read a consumer review or have a chat with a customer and, you know, the emotion that is poured into the response we have from women is my favorite thing ever. And so the idea that we can continue to help women and we continue to facilitate conversations because yes, there is a huge product need for change in this category, but there is a huge conversation and educational need to drive change as well. And so I hope that we can be sat here in 12 months that we've started to move the needle there too. Wonderful sentiment. Let's do it. So let's get together in a year and see how it uh, it all plays out. Uh, our team uh, loves you and loves the product and is delighted to have a chance to uh, work alongside you uh, uh, on this product and in this area. So 
you know, same time next year, they say. Sounds great, Mike. Hopefully I'll see you before then, but uh, sounds like a deal. Sounds good. Thanks.